Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seafoot, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. This week, my guest is a TV presenter, a singer and a father of three daughters. He started his career in Rest Life in 1998, one of the best boy bands of all time, before becoming a solo singer and then a TV presenter. And it was during his time as a TV presenter we met back in 2014 when he hosted Who's Doing the Jitters on ITV. I was a contestant, he was a presenter, and I got to know him as we travelled around, around the UK eating in some of the famous celebrities' houses to see who the celebrity was, including Michelle Heaton from Liberty X, Aggie McKenzie, and Bucks Fizz's Cheryl Baker. From 2016, he's been touring as one half of Boys Life, where alongside Keith Duffy, he sings the big Westlife and the big Boys Own songs, along with some new special Boys Life music. And if that was not enough, he has a new single out now called Burn From You, the lead track from the new album Old School, out on May the 6th, 2022. I'm delighted to welcome to Sickly and Secure. Brian McFadden. Hello, mate. Hello, Johnny. How you doing? Well, all the better for speaking to you, my friend, because you made my birthday last year. I came to see you and you gave a little shout out to me and you dedicated Flying Without Wings and I've never been so happy, mate. (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) It was amazing. So uh, thank you and thank you to Kim and thank you to Whitney who helped organise that. Um, I wanted to spend a bit of time with you because I love Westlife and I want to get behind the scenes of it and I want to know about Boys Life because I've come to see you a couple of times with you being in Boys Life and you tell these amazing anecdotes. So I thought if those who haven't got to hear some of those so that they can then go onto your tour in September when you're back touring around the UK, this is the chance to hear those stories about like what happened on the aeroplane after you had a Burger King. So let's go back all the way to the beginning 1998 is when you joined Westlife talk to me about how you got into that band and why music was your passion why you wanted to get into it well to be honest with you from back in the kind of mid 90s 95, 96 you know boy bands ruled the world you had boys on take that Backstreet Boys NSYNC so you know pop music in general was, was so massive um, that it was something that I wanted to do and I was already in a band called Cartel at the time from about 16 years old back in 96 um, and we were going around Ireland and it was you know if you, you if you remember most people in Ireland would think of Ireland as having little rock venues and stuff which it always did but in the late 90s there was this huge scene of, of pop venues you know where, where people would turn up and you'd have all the kind of unsigned small pop acts all performing so I was on that circuit 
around 96, 97. And it was from that that I actually ended up going for the audition for Westlife. I actually went to Louis Walsh, who was Boys Owns Manager, who had just signed a band called IOU, which would later go on to be Westlife. Um, and I called Louis Walsh to see would he be interested in managing my band, Cartel. Um, so I met up with Louis and we had a chat. And basically, long story short, uh, Louis wasn't really meeting me because he was interested in managing my band. He was meeting me because he wanted me to leave my band and come and audition for Westlife. And it actually turned out that one of the other guys in the band, Tim, he was actually delighted because he was actually going to break the news to us later that month that his family were emigrating to Canada and the band was going to be breaking up anyway. So it was kind of perfect timing for us. So I went along to the audition. And, you know, there was a, a, a long process, as always, always is with these things. You know, got up, sang a song and did my interview, all of that. What people didn't know was that the audition I was going for wasn't actually for Westlife. It was for this other Irish band. And there was thousands of people at the audition. And Louis was one of the, the kind of, not the judges, but one of the people who were there to watch and help out the other guy who was managing this band to help them out to pick the right people. But little did everyone know that Louis was basically just there to handpick from these thousands of people the, the, the kind of his favourites from all these people to then go and audition for Westlife. So he kind of hijacked the audition. So long story short, uh, from that, he, he picked out about 50 people that he liked. The following week, we were all back auditioning for Westlife. And from that audition, basically myself and Nicky Byrne got into Westlife. So that's how it all started. So did you get the, you look like a pop star, you sound like a pop star, you are a pop star line, or had he not formed that yet until he did the X Factor many years later? Yeah, no, no, he, he hadn't done that yet. He actually did, um, I think he did a show called Pop Stars, Louis, before he even did X Factor. Um, but no, no, but Louis was, listen, Louis was so famous in Ireland for being the guy that pretty much anything that he touched turned to gold, you know. Before even Boyzone, he had, you know, tons of show bands that were massive in Ireland. He represented and managed people that won the Eurovision Song Contest for Ireland. So Louis was, you know, he was the most famous music mogul in Ireland before we'd even met him. So we knew who he was. We knew all about him. So kind of having Louis Walsh as a manager, you already kind of knew something special was going to happen. And then from there, we ended up signing with Simon Cowell. So all of a sudden, we've kind of two of the most uh, biggest and successful uh, music people around us, you know, having Louis Walsh as a manager and, and Simon Cowell as our A&R guy, it was pretty much the perfect formula. So I think everybody knew before we even came out that, you know, something special was going to happen just with that, that mix already. Well, it's quite interesting because there'll be fans of yours listening that will only know Louis Walsh and Simon from the X Factor. And people know that Simon obviously manages other bands, but Louis was this big powerhouse. Same as Pete Waterman, obviously yeah. we saw with Pop Idols. So you had Louis Walsh and Pete Waterman who have a massive fan base for being a talent judge on a TV show, and yet they had this massive career beforehand. So when you look now and people talk about Louis and talk about Pete, you know what it's really like for them. I mean, you know how successful they really are. So does it convey to the audience, do you think? Or do you think it's, well, they're just TV talent judges. They, they're just saying what they think. They, they don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah, well, a lot of people, especially at the beginning, when X Factor came out first, they'd be like, who's this Simon Cowell guy? And who's this Louis Walsh? And, and, and even Pete Waterman. But, you know, obviously for us, we know, and, and especially being Irish, everybody knows Louis' history, you know. Like to, to take Boyzone, like Louis had the idea of Boyzone when he saw Take That. He saw Take That and went, I want an Irish version of that. And the incredible thing is that 
you know, he, when he put together Boys Don't, they didn't even sing at the beginning. They literally just were five, I think it was maybe six in the beginning. There were six good-looking guys who could dance, and that, and that was that was Louis' concept. And, and that kind of grew into them Boys Don't recording songs and, and becoming the act they went on to be. But, you know, Louis knew from day one that what he wanted. So we always knew what Louis was capable of doing. Um, so for us... We all looked at Louis and Simon and went, these guys are, are the best in the business. But obviously the people at home look and are, are, haven't got a clue who they are. Um, and, I, and I think that's kind of now why if you look at a lot, of the, a lot of the shows after, they start to kind of get, you know, like the likes of The Voice, rather than getting, uh, you know, management and record company people, they started to get actual artists um, to be the judges. But, you know, listen, you couldn't have picked two better people to, to find talent than Simon Cowell and Louis Walsh. They're definitely the best in the business of finding it. The amazing thing about Louis is long before, you know, long before X Factor and, and Idol and all these shows came out, Louis was the best in the world as well at finding finding these bands. Like, he was able to put together bands without having, you know, the power of a, a nationwide audition. You know, if you think about it now, it, it's very easy for like One Direction was very easy to find. They literally auditioned the whole country, hundreds of thousands of people auditioned for that. So it was quite easy to find five great guys to make a band. But Louis was able to do that before we had internet, before, you know, you weren't able to Google and YouTube people, see what they're like. He, he was able to scout people. You know, he had so many contacts all around the country. Um, that, you know, you'd have people ring him going, oh, I saw this great kid the other night. He was singing in a pub with a band, amazing voice, looks great. And then Louis would contact him. So he always had, you know, he always had his ear to the ground of people that were up and coming. So he, he almost was a one-man X Factor before X Factor even happened. So stupid um, question. Uh, and, uh, I, and this is a very ignorant question, but it just came to me as you were saying that. I've been to Nashville and uh, the way that they are there, the small intimate sets and the fact that in every single bar and restaurant, you've got a live singer and they might become famous at some point in time. Was that what it was like in Ireland as well then, that he could just go around the pubs and that's how you got picked up? Because it didn't really happen like that in London. It's exactly the same. I've been to Nashville myself and, and Nashville is one of my favourite places in the world. And as you said, like I, I used to be in Nashville. I'd walk out the front door of my hotel and literally you'd walk into and every single bar you'd walk into, you would hear the best musicians, the best singers in the world, all just standing in the corner of a little dingy pub performing. And that's what Ireland used to be like as well, especially in the 80s and the 90s. That's how bands like U2, you know, were found. They, they started playing in pubs. So, you know... It's sad. I actually spoke to someone about this the other day, and I was saying it's the one thing that where Ireland's changed now. You go, you go to Dublin now, and every pub you walk into, they don't even have a DJ anymore. They've got the barman puts his, his iPhone on and plays his iTunes on shuffle or plays Spotify. You know that's that's what the music in pubs and and and, bar, and bars are now in Ireland. Whereas back in the eighties and nineties, there was none of that. There was no DJ. It was all live music. And you can't beat that when you walk into a bar and you hear the live drums, the live guitar, and the live mic. And, you know, it's it's a sad time now that those days are gone. And obviously, it's got to do with money. It's a lot cheaper to plug in your iPhone than to hire a full band. But yeah, that is why I think so many people have come from Ireland and made it in the music industry is because we grew up in that atmosphere that, you know, music was all around us. Everywhere you went, there was always live music. And also, the fact that you wanted to do it. If you wanted to be famous, you knew you had to gig. You knew you had to put the hard work in. It wasn't a case of well, I'll add a song to MySpace or YouTube or TikTok now, and if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's, we've got to graft. I really want this. And that energy, yeah. you know, you've been in the industry now for over 25 years. If it, It's still there. You've still got the desire to succeed because that was instilled to you in such a young age. 
But that's that's the thing about it in Ireland. That's that's where the graft came from because it wasn't a case of you make an album and you try and make it on a worldwide scene. You had to first of all be good enough to get the spot in the local pub because there could be six or seven bands all vying to be the band that play on a Saturday night in your local pub. So from day one as a musician in Ireland, you're scrapping other people to get ahead from the very beginning. So if you're not good, you're going to get found out because you know if you're, if you're a band playing in the pub and you're not good, then somebody else will replace you five seconds later. So it, it was a fight all the way to get to the top, you know, whereas now I think it's, it's a little bit different. Were you paying for those slots then or did you get paid for them? No, it worked both ways. Some of the big, big bands, you know, would be getting paid, but a lot of bands were just doing it to, to, to get out there. You know, it was almost a privilege to play in a pub. Cause, you know, some of these big Irish pubs, especially if you go into inner city Dublin, places like Temple Bar, you know, some of these people, they'd work all week, you know, with a nine-to-five job, and then at the weekend, they'd go into town and do a couple of gigs, and, and off the back of that, they're hoping to further their career. So a lot of people weren't getting paid to gig. It was it was more, this is your chance to get found out or to, to build up a support. And is that what we should be doing, to go full circle? Should we be going back to that? You know, there's a whole thing about getting off social media now, and, you know, I know social media is still peaking, but there's also this urge that we should be on it a lot less. Is that the next thing to do, is to go back to that side of life? I'd love that. I'd love if it went back full circle, you know, where where, you, where the, the reason that you fall in love with a band or with an artist is because you hear them live first, you know, and, and that's the way it was. People fell in love with a band and then... You know, you, you look at people like the Beatles, you know, you think back to the Beatles career and they started playing around little pubs in Liverpool and they, and they played in Germany and, and people fell in love with this live band. And, and then when they brought out a song, people had already heard them and go, oh, they're those guys and, and I really like them live. And, and then you fall in love with them. Whereas now it's the complete opposite way. And do you know what? No, I'd love to be going around to little rock venues and or little clubs and hearing all different kinds of music and find new music that way rather than it being shoved down my throat or somebody sending me a TikTok with a song on it, you know. I'd definitely love to go back to that. Well, that's that's what Nashville is. I urge anyone to go there. And that's how I found out about the Zac Brown Band because, you know, you think country, you think Dolly Parton or Shania Twain. And suddenly the Zac Brown Band were being played and I the song was Chicken Fried. And then suddenly I started exploring them and it, it led to another band and obviously Carrie Underwood. And you're like, yeah. there's this whole spectrum of country music. I had no idea, but I had to experience yeah. it for myself to really understand the music, understand the lyrics, and go and discover it on myself and on my own, rather than just relying on being it put in front of me. I always found that if you, if you discover a band by yourself, you'll always fall in love with that band and you'll be with them forever. Um, whereas, you know, when everybody else is telling me, you've got to listen to these because this is what everyone's downloading now or this is what everybody's streaming, it doesn't appeal to me and I almost repel against it and I almost think we're going, I'm not going to like this because I've been told to like it. I've always been a person who, who I like to have found it myself and I love to fall in love with acts and go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this now. So I've always been like that. It's interesting. I remember when Bruno Mars released his first album and people knew just the way you are, but no one knew the other songs and it took about a year for the other songs to get released. And I think the, th the same thing happened to Ed Sheeran as well back in 2011 after he released uh, The A-Team. And you're right, it's, yeah. you're, you feel part of a niche and then it, it, mm. it feels like you've got a bit of ownership over it. And it's yeah. when it becomes mainstream and it, you know it's on Radio 1 and Radio 2 and Capital and Heart, you're a bit like, oh, well, I've now heard that now. I'm not really part of it. It's now for everyone and... I'm over that moment. Yeah. 
I was like that with Snow Patrol. You know, I was a massive Snow Patrol fan, and I kept trying to tell people, "You've got to listen to this band, this new band out, Snow Patrol. They're absolutely incredible." And then, of course. As soon as their song was played on Grey's Anatomy and it becomes number one all over the world, Chasing Cars, then everybody loves Snow Patrol. But for me, I was like, oh, I've always loved that band. The same with them, the script and, and Snow Patrol, the both of them bands for me were bands that I knew well before they they kind of blew up. So it's still to me, I still have that kind of fan ownership where I feel like, you know what, I was one of the original fans. And that, I think that's why I still love them so much, both bands. So how did you feel when Snow Patrol had run, amazing song, and then Leona Lewis covers it in the Radio 1 Live Lounge of Joe Wiley? I think this is about 2007, 2008, 2009-ish. And then that becomes yeah. effectively Leona's song, and it's not Snow Patrol's song anymore. Did you distance yourself from that song after that? No, I'm not going to lie. I did actually love Leona's version of it. Um, and, and that is the beauty of Snow Patrol, though. You know, they've got their own little quirky style, but the essence of it, they're just really great pop songs, you know? And... and And I think that just kind of, it just shows how great a songwriter they are. Um, so, you know, I was, I was actually a really, really big fan of that. And, and Steve Mack produced it as well, of course, who did, you know, we wrote Swear It Again, Fly Me That Wings. We had a, you know, most of the Westlife songs were with Steve Mack. So I was, I was actually a fan of that. But no, to me, that just made me love Snow Patrol even more that, you know, artists like that are, are hearing the beauty in their songs and, and covering their own versions of it. Well, I agree. Although you mentioned Grey's Anatomy, we don't talk about that episode, that musical episode from season seven. It was uh, oh, an, an episode that we should forget, I think is best to say. <laughs> Why did you not like it? Oh, it was. Have you watched it? You were talking about the one where, where Danny dies. Uh, yeah, and you've got Owen Hunt singing and you've got Callie singing uh, Chasing Cars as they're rolling uh, him in the bed. Oh, Chasing Cars was released by Snow Patrol as a single. It did nothing. Didn't even chart. I don't even think it made the top 50 in the UK. Didn't chart in America. It had been out for over a year. And then I think it was only season two or three um, for any Grey's Anatomy fan. Anyone that's not a Grey's Anatomy fan is going to be going, what are these two talking about? But uh, there's an episode where basically Izzy falls in love with a patient and his name is Denny. And basically he dies. And in the episode when he dies, it's like a heartbreaking big season finale episode. They play Chasing Cars. And it was off the back of that one episode where the song is playing as as the guy dies. The song pretty much just exploded then all over the world. This is when Grey's Anatomy was the biggest show in the world. And, you know, it was getting millions and millions of viewers every night. And and it was the, off the back of that one episode where they played about a minute of the song that got that song pretty much to be what it is today. And, and Snow Patrol. Snow Patrol off the back of that, that one hit then became one of the biggest bands in the world. The musical episode of Grey's Anatomy was one of the most horrendous bits of television I've ever seen. And you know what? I stopped watching Grey's Anatomy ever since. <laughs> so that was season seven, episode 18. They actually did. I was right. They did do uh, Chasing Cars as the first song. Uh, it was four minutes and 11 seconds. And they had about, they had nine songs on them. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia right now. They did uh, Grace by Kate Havanek. How to, Sa oh, How to Save a Life by the Fred. Great song. <laughs> Love yeah, how they, they, they were all the songs they would have done of them. All the ones you're listing, they were all the songs on that. So Grey's Anatomy became a tool, right, for musicians. Which uh, I, the way I would uh, compare it to is, is what it was in the 80s and the 90s. The biggest selling songs and singles in the world in the 80s and 90s were all from movies. Whitney Houston, I will always love you. Brian Adams, everything I do from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. All these like uh, Celine Dion from Titanic. All those songs, movies made them what they were you know it was the vision of the movie with the song playing that's what made these songs so big and Grey's Anatomy all of a sudden had become 
the same thing because people have stopped putting songs in movies that were the big kind of hit singles. So all of a sudden, Grey's Anatomy became that platform for people. If you could get your song on Grey's Anatomy, you could launch your career. So The Fray, The Fray were another example. So Snow Patrol were first with, with Chasing Cars and then How to Save a Life, uh, The Fray, that started them off. And all of a sudden, all these new acts were getting their songs in episodes of Grey's Anatomy and basically getting hit singles off the back of it. So Grey's Anatomy had become the brand new platform to launch to launch a single and to launch an act. So that's where it works in its favour for this. But then it goes the other way. So with Glee, Guns N' Roses, the Foo Fighters, I think Kings of Leon as well, all said, no, we don't want the songs. But then we had Journey, Don't Stop Believing. And yeah. my generation had never heard of that song. And now it's one of the biggest power ballads because of Glee. Yeah, true, true. That's very true. You know, I knew the song and I loved it. But again, you're right. It is these, it's these, you know, these modern covers of the songs can turn them into a hit. And then all of a sudden, you start going back and looking at these songs in their original form and realise how great they are. Oh, a hundred percent. And I realised that when I saw Anne Juliet the musical last year, the Max Martin song. So it was the best of Kelly Clarkson, Jesse J, Katy Perry, Britney Spears, uh, Backstreet Boys, and you're like, that's what it means. Now I've heard it in a different context and I've heard it stripped back now it makes more sense yeah absolutely absolutely it was incredible so look let's talk about you brian though because i i'm i'm fascinated by this conversation but uh i know you're here to talk about you although i could talk about this for ages um so you leave rest life how do you look back at that time now though in hindsight because it's coming up to the big 25th anniversary of the band next year how are you looking back at that time now um, listen, it's it's absolutely amazing, and and you know I still every day now with social media every day somebody will post on my Twitter feed a video from you know when the days I was there or a performance or something, you know, and there's there's millions of other YouTube videos out there as well. So I I, I still watch back stuff and, and I look at it, and every single moment of it that I look back, I, I have such fondness and 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 nostalgia every time I look at it. It was the most incredible six years of my life, you know, and and. And it was so funny as well because it was so quick. It just went in the blink of an eye. You know, it was six years, but it felt like a year because everything was just crammed into the six years. Like we never had a break. It was just always go, go, go. From the day our first single came out till the day I left the band, was you know the amount of things that happened in that short period of time was just incredible. Um, and, and I love every second of it. So. Why have you not done a Robbie Williams and come back to the band? Obviously, they made their amazing album, Wild Dreams, last year, which I absolutely love. Why were we not hearing you on that? I think it's it's different. You know, I as, we just have a different relationship. I think, you know, with Robbie and Take That, you know, Take That's career, if you look at it, they were together a lot longer than, than, than I was in, in Westlife. Um, and, and you have to remember, Westlife went on after I left, and they've they've done another what 18 years of, of making music and touring so i think the way that i and the boys would look at it is it's two different bands you know there's the westlife that i was in and there's the westlife now and they've had 18 years as a band that's three times the amount of time that i was in the band so it's, it's two different things so it's never even been on the table it's never even been a conversation had about me ever going back and you know obviously i went on to do my own thing and and I have my own life and my own career. So we've, we've taken two completely different paths. So it's it just, to us, it would never even make sense to even have the conversation. So what? So, so next year, it's going to be the tw- the 30th year of Boyzone and the 25th year of Westlife. We saw McFly and we saw Busted create McBusted around 2014, 2015. Do you not think we could have a supergroup now of Boys Life, Boyzone and Westlife as one massive supergroup for the 30th and 25th <laughs> anniversaries with you and Keith back in the bands? 
Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, to be honest with you. But listen, that, that's the kind of thing that the, the fans would love. I know if I was a fan of music, you'd look at that and go, wouldn't that be great? I, uh, you know, I, I loved it when Backstreet Boys and New Kids on the... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Block went out on tour together. I can't even remember what they called it. New kids on the back street block or whatever. And, you know, I love that, but... You know, it's it's all it's all good to kind of sit back and say these things, but you know, there's so many moving parts. Like you know, like Westlife are they're still the one of the biggest bands in the world. You know, they're playing Wembley Stadium. You know, they don't even do arenas anymore. They play football stadiums. You know, and I've got my my career going with Keith and and all the stuff that we're doing. Ronan's got his his TV show and his, his radio show and his solo career. Everybody's got their own thing. So people just think it's a very easy thing to say for something like that to happen, but. It, it just it just would never happen. It would never be able to work. Do, do us a one-off. Do Children in Need or the Royal Variety performance or Comic Grief. Just just give us fans one time to watch this. You know I'm the biggest fan of yours and the biggest fans of the bands. I would do anything to have that one moment of all of you together singing those songs. Listen, it, it, it would be a fun thing to do, but I can tell you now it would never, ever happen. Well, look, put it this way. I haven't even spoke to... 
to the band in in must be ten years since we've since we've spoke. Or I I think the last time that we were all in a room together uh, was I was living in Los Angeles and we went for dinner. Um, it's got to be well over ten years ago. I was probably only maybe twelve years. I was about twenty eight. Um, and I was living in LA, and the boys were in town shooting a, a music video. And we went for dinner, and the boys came back to my house, and that's the last time that the five of us were in a room together. So, you know, and, and it's not—it's not a negative thing. It's not like we fell out or anything after that. It was just we've gone our separate ways. You know, it's—I I, I try to explain it to people. It's the same as you know people that you go to college with. You know, when, when you're going to college for for how many years you go to college, you have these best friends and girlfriends and boyfriends and, and you know they're all a part of your life but then you move on you get married or you get a job and you you, you, may, you might move to a different town and you separate you go your own way and, and you don't you know you people think you're all going to keep in touch but you don't you, your lives go in different directions and and that's what it's like with us it's, it's not a bad thing it's not like if i if i saw any of the boys now i would sit down we'd have a point and it'd probably be like you know we'd seen each other yesterday but just the way life is, we've we've gone our separate ways, and that's it. You know, there's no there's no animosity, there's no badness, there's no negative feelings towards each other. It's not like we fell out and we're not friends anymore. We just don't. We're just not in contact anymore. You know, there's lots of people that I, you know, over over the years of my life, there's there's you know people that I toured that were in my band as a solo artist for five or six years, and and you know, like my my guitar player Robbie, yeah, you know, he moved to Australia. We were literally, we spent every single day together for six years when he was in my band. He was my MD. He lives in Australia now. He's a record producer. And we don't keep in, in touch anymore. That, that's kind of just what happens in life. You just move on. It's not a bad, It's not always a bad thing, you know? No, I completely agree with you. But when you're in a band like Westlife, where you don't really have individual identities, it's just this is Westlife, this is Flying Without Wings, or this is Mandy, etc. You then have to come away and refine your purpose and go, Right, I'm Brian McFadden, the solo singer, a TV presenter, etc. How hard was it for you to find your purpose away from the band and do it yourself? Um, well, it wasn't very difficult because, you know, by the time I, I was leaving um, Westlife, I already knew in my head what I wanted to do like with my own solo music. I already had a, 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 a not a sound, but I had a vision of what I wanted to do, which is my own sound, which was the Irish Sun album. I always wanted to have you know, a, the lyrics be a little bit more literal and a bit more of a story, like like Nashville. You know, country songs tell stories, and and I always wanted to write my songs that were a little bit more storyteller. So it wasn't hard because I I already knew in my head what I wanted to do. You know, I've lived in so many different countries. I've had so many different, you know, chapters of my career from Westlife to then solo. Then I went into doing TV. Like when I went into TV, I didn't see a studio for two years. You know, and then I finished doing Australia's Got Talent, and then I went to literally just writing and producing for other artists. And I spent two years where I never left the studio. Um, I lived in Australia, LA. I, I, I'm I'm very used to adapting to move and change. It, it doesn't bother me. You know, it it wasn't scary for me to leave Westlife thinking what's going to happen. I, I sat when I left Westlife and thought to myself, I've just done more than you know most people in the world would ever do in the music industry in my short time in Westlife. So no matter what happens. You know, from from now till the day I die, nobody can ever take that away from me. All the number ones, all the success, I've achieved pretty much everything I could want just being in Westlife for six years. So everything after that in my head was just a bonus. So there was no fear, and it was, you know, I was I was just kind of going, trying something new in my head and trying to have a little change. As you can see with my life, it seems to change every five or six years from where I live or what I'm doing, and 
and I'm happy to do that. It keeps me on my toes, keeps me excited. Well, I love that. And also, you're able to diversify. You know, a lot of people come from bands and try and be a TV presenter or radio presenter, and it doesn't really work out because although you can speak to an audience on the stage, it doesn't translate when it's very intimate one-on-one. And you have had an amazing TV and radio career post your music career. Yeah. Well, I think I, I'm really glad I did it. I'm really glad I did Who's Doing the Dishes and, and Australia's Got Talent and all these shows because by the end of Who's Doing the Dishes, the one thing that it made me realise when I, cause I, I had kind of become a TV person, which was strange, you know, because I was always a musician. To me, it was always about making music and singing on stage. That was That is the first love of my life. And it, it took me to almost flip sides to where all of a sudden, you know, my manager's calling me and it, it was all about TV. You've got, you know, they want you to do this show, this show. And I was like, what about the music? I was like, I'm, I'm missing getting on stage. I don't like getting up in the morning and thinking, right, my day job today is 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 basically getting up and doing TV. Now, I, I enjoyed it at the beginning because it was it was taking me out of my comfort zone. I'm very comfortable on stage. I'm very comfortable in the studio. But I, I wasn't comfortable, even though my finished product might seem comfortable. I'm not comfortable doing TV because it's a very, very different art than, than making music. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed kind of the challenge of, tr- of, of trying to do TV. But by the end of Who's Doing the Dishes, I've been doing it for, what, five or six years at that stage. I decided I don't want to do TV anymore. My, my real passion, where I get my real buzz, is being on the stage. So that's why I sit back. Well, I, I never stopped singing, but I made it my, my priority and my number one job to be a musician again. So that takes us to 2016, because you did dishes. I met you on dishes in 2013, 2014, and I was the second week of uh, shows that you did. So this is about two years later, where you then see Keith in a pub in Ireland again, and Boy's Life forms. Well, Boy's Life formed. It was kind of weird. Boy's Life was never supposed to be Boy's Life the way you think it is, like as actually the name of an act. Boy's Life was actually the name of a show. So I was I was doing a solo show in Wheelands in Dublin, which is like a very famous rock venue in Dublin. Um, and I was there with my band, and Keith came down with his son and a couple of his friends. They watched the show. And afterwards, we were having a, a pint of Guinness in my dressing room, and I was asking Keith what he was up to, and he basically told me he just finished doing a, a, a show in the, in the West End in, in, in London, I think A Handful of Stars it was called, a play. And his next project was he was going to basically do a one-man show, which would be basically him on stage doing his autobiography so instead of writing a book he would actually tell all the stories that be in his book on stage in a show and i thought that was a great idea so after a couple more points we talked about it. he said well why don't we do it together and we could both do the show and we could tell each other stories on stage so that was it and we decided then that you know we'd maybe throw in into this show four or five songs because there's certain songs that kind of go with the story that we're talking about um and we ended up putting those those songs into the show I think we ended up doing eight songs in the show and the rest was all talking and, and that was basically called Boys Life A Night of Stories Music and Laughter it was not actually Keith and I as a, as a band it was the show was called Boys Life um, and that, that went amazing you know we, we sold out the, the whole tour in, in something like four hours so we ended up doing three tours of that after doing that for a couple of years we, we decided then you know what we actually really enjoyed it but not just that we got a lot of feedback from fans saying we do love this, but we want to hear more of the songs because, you know, we've, the amount of hits that we have between us with Westlife and Boyzone, to only sing eight of the songs when people turn up to see a show, you know, they felt like they were being robbed. 
so and also we've been doing the stories now for a few years and we wanted to just get back to singing so we went from there to to performing full shows of the the west side and the boys own songs and that's got us right up to to the last few years now where we're literally doing full theater shows with the live band bvs screens the whole lot the whole shebang basically like the like the old arena shows we used to do except we're just doing them in big town halls now and big theaters well, that's it, because the original one, I saw you at the, I think it was the Edgerow Road Hilton, Metropole Hilton, I think yeah. it was called, something like that. And we sat around a table, and then I remember all the women running to get uh, to the, the stage for the last bit when you did an encore and you did those couple of songs. But the difference between that and when I saw you at the Auburn Arena last year, and you did it as a one big concert, it was a concert. You know, everyone was drinking, everyone was waving their arms in the air, it, and all those power ballads, everyone knows every single word to them. And... So there's that community feel that really comes through of these shows. Well, that was the idea. And that's why it's, it's for us, it's quite easy to do a concert because, you know, you've got most of these songs, you know, the big hits, uh, you know, like songs like Words and Uptown Girls, Slime of the Wings, all these songs, everybody knows them and they know all the words. So it makes it very easy for us to do it because, you know, we get on stage, we start the song and pretty much the whole crowd just sings with us. So it's almost like one big karaoke session by the end of the night um, look, we, we, we love it now what we're doing is just great you know we're one of the best mates in the world just travelling all around the world playing golf in the day and then going on stage every night and, and singing these songs and, and the, probably the most exciting thing for us now is the fact that we're now at the stage where we're actually producing our own music now and, and, and you know bringing out new material because it's been great singing these songs from the last almost 30 years um, of our catalogue but it is nice now to be able to go on to that next chapter where we start bringing out new music well you've got 10 singles coming out on may the 6th 2022 burn for you's just come out i heard it on radio 2 the other week and absolutely loved it what, tell me about the album well what we when we started doing this album the the one thing we wanted to do was we wanted to make an album that keith and i would have loved when we were teenagers so when i was growing up the songs that i loved were like brian adams songs bon jovi those big 80s, 90s power ballads. And we wanted to go back to make a record that sounded like a record that we would have loved as kids. And that's what we did. We wrote the songs and then we worked with this young new producer called Jackson. Um, we basically played the songs to Jackson and said, Can you, uh, these, these 80s, 90s songs. And because he's so young, he wasn't around for all these songs, so they're new to him. So we just we, we played him these songs. So having this young kid who's got a real modern feel trying to reproduce that sound from the 80s and 90s, we ended up getting that boys life sound, what we were going for. So, you know, I, I love the album, and I know everyone's going to say that I'm going on, but, you know, of all, the, of all the songs I've brought out probably in the last 20 years, this is probably my favourite because, as I said, the songs are songs that I would have loved and I would have bought when I was a kid. And, and even from, from Irish Sun, my first solo album, I was always veering to get to this point. But, you know, obviously music changed. You know, when you're in the music industry for 25 years, styles change and phases change. And, and you know, what's, what's hot and what works changes all the time. And I think we're just looking now that we're coming around to a part again where it's going full circle again. That 80s, 90s sound is starting to creep back into all these songs. So, you know, I, I think it was the perfect time for us to make this album. So if the 80s and 90s are coming around again, does that mean when you tour this album, we're going to see the return of the stools and the fist pump in the air for new music? Uh, I don't know about the stools. The problem with stools these days is once we get on them, it's very hard to get them back on. <laughs> 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 it's all right, 
it was okay when we were 20 years old. We could jump up and down off a stool. But now, when I'm sitting down now, I, I can't get up without making a noise. Uh, listen, the only reason we ever sat on the stool was so that we had the impact of getting up off it for the middle eight, for the big key change, you know? So, well, yeah, no, I think... You know, we, you've seen our show. We, we do sit on stools for the for, for parts of it, but most of it we try to stay up and keep active. You know, keep active. getting old now. <laughs> um, a couple of questions that have come in for you, if that's okay. Andrew in Potter's Bar says, "Have you had Botox recently?" No, I have not. I saw there was a story. I did because Evan Keith did the the promotion for Burn for You, and I was on. Oh, I think it might have been this morning with Alison Dermot, and I saw all these news things coming out about. Fans were um, shocked and, and uh, I don't know, all these really big, exaggerated words about my appearance. And I was like, I didn't understand it at all. I, I, I look back at myself, I was like, I look like that every day. But for some reason, people thought that on that show, that I looked like I'd had plastic surgery in the face or something, that I'd had a whole facelift and everything. But I don't know, I've got this, I've the same face for the last well, 42 years. Um, I, ha- I did have Botox once few years ten, ten years ago whatever it was I tried it once and I absolutely hated it um, and I swore I'd never get it again well I, I, I couldn't go near a needle uh, Georgia in Tempe says do you have one favourite Westlife song and one song that you don't like singing anymore um, my favourite Westlife always will be Slamming the Wings it's the best Westlife song by a mile um, and, and it's, it's you know Ever since the day I joined Westlife, right through to today, I haven't done a gig where that's not in the set list. It'll always be in every set list I do. Um, and songs that I don't like singing, well, to be honest with you, no, because any song that I don't like singing is not in the set anyway. So I, I couldn't really hand pick one. Um, but there's lots of songs that we, we recorded and we did that I probably wouldn't like. Uh, but that's what happens when you make so many songs. You're not always going to like them all. But you... no, there's, there's no particular song. Seasons in the Sun, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't sing that again. Oh, no, that's a nice song. That's a nice yeah. little song. Yeah, I wouldn't sing that again. That, that'd be one I wouldn't sing again. I, I really like that song. There's a song as well. Uh, well, Bop Bop Baby, you don't really like. Uh, you kind of add it in for about 30 seconds. But that's one that Heat Radio, at a time when uh, Heat Magazine had a radio station, used to play it all the time. But that's one you don't seem to like that much. It's funny as well, because that was the first Westlife single that I wrote as well which is kind of weird. <laughs> so I can only blame myself for that. No, it's not that I don't like it. Yes, it didn't... When I wrote it, because I didn't produce it, I wrote it, but when when I wrote it, it, it sounded a lot different. The demo sounded a lot different than how it finished out It finished out when it was produced by somebody else. I didn't love the finished version of it, let's put it that way. I, I, when I wrote it, you know, I'm a massive Brian Wilson fan, and when I wrote it originally, it was supposed to kind of sound almost like a Beach Boys record. The, the translation from the demo to the finished product, uh, kind of a lot of the stuff that I had in my head got lost in the translation, and it turned into a different song than I'd kind of uh, originally imagined when That's I wrote so it. That's so interesting. And then I found out only about three or four years ago, I Want to Grow Old of You. I'd never heard of it, and that's a beautiful little song. I remember that. That song, that's the, that song, that song started with um, Keen, actually. Myself and Keen were in a, I think it was in, in, in a hotel lobby, I think in Japan, it might have been in Tokyo, out in the town, and we came back in, it must have been one o'clock in the morning, and there was a massive grand piano in the lobby of this hotel, and the two of us sat and had a couple of drinks at the piano, and, and I want to grow with you, but the, the original idea of that song was started over that piano, and I'll never forget it. 
I remember waking up the next morning and going, remember that song wrote last night? And, and a couple of weeks later, then we got into the studio and, and finished it. Such a beautiful song. So that's you as a musician. That's you as a TV presenter. The third thing, as I said at the top, is it your father to three daughters? How have you found fatherhood through all this? Obviously, with Molly and Lily, it was very difficult because, you know, obviously I, I separated from their mother when I was in Westlife. Oh, sorry, after I left Westlife. But when they were born, I spent a lot of time on the road with Westlife. Like, there was no breaks. It was just constantly go, go, go. So, obviously, I was away from them quite a lot. And then, obviously, me and their mother separated. So, um, I didn't spend as much time with them as I would have liked, you know, over their life. Now, we've got a great relationship now. And as, as they've got older, you know, Molly ended up moving in with my mum and dad and going to school in Dublin, actually, where my sister went to school. So, our relationship now is brilliant, but I, I, I do, I, I don't regret it because I can't change anything, you know. We both went, me and, her, me and their mother went on to have different lives when we broke up, so we, we couldn't live in the same house and, and be there every day. Um, I wish I could have I'd spent more time, I wish I could have seen them go to school every day and stuff like that, but I can't change that now. And obviously now with Ruby, I'm getting to do that, which is amazing. So I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm getting to kind of catch up on all the things I lost with Molly and Lily as, as babies, you know, the, the first steps and all of that stuff. So, yeah, but listen, I've got, I've got an amazing relationship with two older daughters now, which is great. And they're, they're, they're adults now, so our, our conversations are amazing. It's, it's amazing to be able to talk to your own child, you know, and talk about real things in the world, which is great. They're both very, very intelligent, and um, they teach me a lot. It, it's, it's, you know, you spend most of your life teaching your kids things, and when they become 16 and onwards, they start to pretty much tell you how the world is. It's just kind of funny. So that's what I quite like, is the fact that you are able to do it again with your third daughter. And I suppose look at yourself differently as a parent. So do you feel like there's different character traits inside you now that you've done it and you've had that time away to kind of go, like, this is how I want to be a father this time around. Like, these are the lessons that I want to teach you that I wish I'd done beforehand. Yeah, well, you have to remember when, when Molly and Lily were born, I was only a kid. I was only, like, my early 20s. And I was, you know, my, my life was only starting as well. So, you know, I, I guess in my head I was, you know, it's a selfish thing to look back at it now, but I was very focused on myself and not just the two of them. Whereas now, you know, I've, I've had my, my, my amazing life and career and I'm so happy with it that I can put my daughter first now and the raising of my child, that becomes my number one priority. And, and then music comes second but it's, it's, a, it's, it's okay saying that now because I've done 25 years of music and I've set myself up to be able to do that but it was obviously very very hard being a 20 year old um, you know travelling around the world I couldn't turn around and say to the Westlife boys right I'm going home for six months to, 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 to spend time with my daughters I was only a child myself um, but yes you know I'm a completely different headspace now you know I've had my life and now I'm concentrating on being a dad to the three girls Whereas I think when, when when Molly and Lily were babies, I was still a baby myself and I was still learning and, you know, I was I was only growing up myself. So now that I'm an adult, I've, I've had a world of experience. I can start to teach, pass that on to Ruby, but also I can help Molly and Lily as well to learn from my mistakes that I made, and, and especially at the age they are now. Molly's about to turn 21 in August and, you know, at that stage, I was I was at the peak of my career in Westlife. So I, I've got a lot of things I can teach them. So final question for you, Brian. What's next for you? Obviously, we've got the album. We've got the Boys Life Tour that's coming up now. What's next for you? I don't know. We've got a massive tour coming. Um, we've signed a contract with, with, um, with a big company to do 100 shows. Um, so the first the first third of those shows is 30-odd gigs, starts in September. Um, and we'll do them. And then we've another 70 to do. And, and after that, we don't really know. We, we haven't 
we're, we're literally just going year by year. And you don't know what's going to happen in the world as well. You know, like we were in the middle of our last tour um, in 2019 when COVID hit, and all of a sudden we spent 18 months sitting at home on the couch. So we're just kind of taking it as it comes. Right now we're going to we're going to do this big tour, um, and we'll see. Maybe another album. We might start writing another album, bring it out next year. We'll see. We just don't know. We, we're making no plans past this album and this tour. Well, all I know is I'm going to come and see you again in Dartford because it was one of the best nights of my life and I urge everyone to go and see that tour. If you could give one moment of the tour that people need to see, what would it be? Um, well, the last tour is done now, but we used to do a boy band medley um, in, in the middle of the show where we do all the song. Basically, we do a little medley of, of five, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, all of that. Um, that was quite a fun thing to do. Uh, but we have, for the new tour, a little twist on that. So we're going to do another medley, but it won't be boy bands this time. So keep an eye out for that. And that'll definitely be a lot of fun. Brian McFadden, he's been absolutely incredible. His album Old School is out on May the 6th, 2022. And his single Burn From You is out now. Thanks so much to Brian McFadden. I absolutely love him. I loved meeting him on Who's Doing Dishes all those years ago and following his career and rest life, boys life, the best bands of all time. I've seen them both on tour many, many times and many more times to come, I hope indeed. You've been listening to Security and Security with me, Johnny Seifert. If you like what you heard, please do go and rate the podcast. Give it a five-star rating on Apple iTunes, leave a review and then share it on your social media. If you're a massive Brian McFadden fan, a massive Westlife fan, a massive boys life fan, share it on your social media pages. Get all their fans, get you and your friends all listening to this episode because it's amazing. Brian's knowledge of the music industry is fascinating and I could have spoken so much more about music in Ireland because I don't think we know about it enough. So please do go and share it out with your friends. It's really important. Number one, you say it's okay to not be okay. And number two, you get to learn about that industry and let other people know as well. You've been listening to Security and with me, Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.